You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Rob, not the Rob Bro Show, the Gamble Gauchos. Sorry, did a special Rob Bro Show this afternoon. It's in my head. The Gamble Gauchos, live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for football season, if you need to gear up for the next home game, which is Houston, uh, or the next home game after that, which I believe is Kansas State, if you're making some trip plans, go ahead and do that at Cardinals, mycardinalsports.com, or live and in person right outside the loop. Uh, You can get some throwback vintage gear. uh, Go into the vault and get some Texas Tech gear. They can get you right. Or get some gambling gauchos merch. Uh, quarter zips, hats, shirts. We've got it all there at Cardinals. You can find that at mycardinalsports.com as well. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. I'm cool if you want to make this the Rob Bro show. No, it's all right. I, I, uh, I like the gambling gauchos too. I'm just, I'm the co-pilot. That's all. Uh, no, let's jump right into it. Uh, I think it's a must win for Texas tech this weekend. I think it's even more of a must win for Houston with Dana and Donovan coming back to Lubbock. Um, What are some of your overall thoughts on the game besides running the damn ball? Yeah, trust me, we'll get there. (laughs) We will get into that. You know, I think some people tune in because I'm a nerd. I think some people tune in despite the fact that I'm a nerd. Either way, I've got the numbers. We'll get into it. But yeah, um, so I think that you hit the nail on the head. It, it is a tough spot for Dana. Not as much for Joey. I mean, I think Joey is facing pressure and kind of the honeymoon phase is over with the fan base. He's not on the hot seat. I mean, like no matter what really happens this season, I mean, I guess maybe if you go like one and 11, but Dana has like the 80 something ranked recruiting class and the calendar is about to flip to October. Um, Houston fans got on me about that this summer. They're like, well, it's June. Like, okay, well now it's October. And most everybody's full. Maybe they've got a spot or two. Like, there's not a ton of movement in between October and, and signing day. So, I, I thought coming into the year that all the newcomers would be safe in terms of like coaches' hot seat because everybody would say, "Well, you know, it's we're making a big leap here." I'm not totally convinced that's the case with Dana. Like, if they finish 13th or 14th, which I think is feasible, and if he's not recruiting, I could see them saying, "You know what." You know, we for a guy who already had coaching experience at the Power Five level in this conference, I think we're going to instead choose to make the transition with kind of a clean slate moving forward. So, you know, it, and even if they lose this one, he could he could turn it around. Uh, but yeah, I think both teams are looking at this and thinking like, okay, we need this one if we want to get bowl eligible, and it's hard to lose this one and then feel like there's a a rosy outlook the rest of the season. So I do think it is. For a one and three team playing a two and two team, I think it's a pretty important game. Yeah, you'd move to zero and two in Big Twelve play. It just everything would be stacked against you if you lose this game. Um, and I agree. And for the same reasons, Dana Holgerson's Dana Holgerson is not a traditional newcomer here. He was at West Virginia for a long time. He knows how the Big Twelve works. This isn't new for him. Uh, TCU shouldn't have surprised him in any way. So. You look at Houston and say, this is a team, specifically how it's built this season, needs to win some Big 12 games or else they'll have a new head coach. Um, on the other side, you're one and three. And you're trying to make a bowl game for the second year in a row because that's really the only way at this point to make it feel like you've made any progress. And that's all you want to see with a new head coach in a second year is just making progress every year. And if you miss a bowl game, it's hard to see any progress besides the recruiting acumen. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think 
I don't want to speak for you. I definitely drank the offseason Kool-Aid and had my sights set high, a lot higher than bowl game. But backing up to maybe after last year's bowl game or maybe during spring ball, kind of before you hit peak offseason, you and I, I think both, and we could, if we wanted to take the time, go to the tape on this, kind of said, you know, hey, seven wins again, whether that's regular season or with a bowl win is kind of, it keeps the momentum going from year one. And of course, then we got to the point where a lot of fans expected nine or 10 expected to be in the hunt in November to, you know, punch a ticket to Arlington. All that looks like it's out the window, but I think if we can zoom out a little bit and kind of get past the preseason expectations, if we go to two straight bowl games, especially if you win two straight bowl games with the recruiting class, you'd say, okay, you know, we weren't quite ready for the leap in year two, but this is still going in the right direction. And I'm not trying to sunshine pump. Like I trust me, I, I understand the disappointment. I'm not trying to say that one and three isn't that bad or anything. I think I've made my thoughts and feelings pretty well known on that. But you you can salvage something. Like it's not going to be what any of us wanted or kind of expected by August. Uh, but like we said last episode, it starts with beating Houston. Like the only way to climb out of this hole is by winning the next game in front of you, and that's Houston. It's at home. It's a beatable opponent. If there's some kind of turnaround to happen this season, it starts on Saturday. Uh, D. Wayne in the comment section saying that bubblegum flavored fluoride reminded him of us. I don't know why. Uh, he says if Kitley can't get the offense turned around, Holgerson gets fired at UH. He will come to Tech as the OC. I don't think there's any country in the world that that would happen in. Um, maybe offensive analyst for a season, but I, I don't think that he would ever return as the OC especially after the last coaching hire situation. Uh, I don't think he'd come back as the OC under Kirby Hocutt. Uh Mr. Sunshine, Kyle Jacobson strikes again. Yeah, I got a little John Denver in me, Mr. Mr. Sunshine on my god dang shoulders. You got a little sunshine on your shoulders there? I can't help but be a little bit optimistic. I am still very optimistic on this program trajectory, but I am a little bit worried on the current season trajectory um somebody asked me the other day what i thought the final record would be and this was when i didn't know uh if morton this is before the the coach joey mcguire press conference where he said morton's starting this weekend i said you go four and eight and i still think that's possible I, i don't think that that is that is for sure but I think the window now is four and eight, seven and five. And I think seven and five is going to be a difficult road unless you win this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of making heads or tails of some games on the schedule because, exactly, like I said last episode, two of your best opportunities are in the rearview mirror. You know, road games are always hard, but you were favored by 13 in one of them, favored by six in the other, lost both of them. Um, you lost a winnable game at home against Oregon. But, you know, I look around and like, you know, BYU, they go on the road and beat Arkansas, but all these analytics models just give them no credit for it, basically. And like, you're still f- favored on things like FPI to go to Provo and win, which are, I know our fan base is like, we're not going on the road and beating any power five team the way things are going right now. Right. And so, you know, I don't know, maybe you, um, something I will say, and again, not trying to sunshine pump or anything. And I don't know how this is measured, but you know, like it, during basketball season, Ken Palm can allegedly measure a team's luck. And yes. he has the luckiest team in the country on down to the 323rd luckiest or however many uh, Division One programs there are in college basketball. I don't know what goes into that. I don't know how Ken Palm determines that. I found a website. I think it's just called like college football ratings or college football stats. It measures luck. Do you know what Texas Tech is ranked? Uh, of 133? Out of 133. 117. We are 133rd. Okay. Yeah. So that probably doesn't make anybody feel better. But, like, I don't know. I think if you replay these four games 100 times, the amount of times you wind up one and three – I. I'm kind of not buying that you're that bad. And I know we have our issues. We've highlighted them on this show. So anyway, all that to say, if you got unlucky in some games that you're supposed to win, hopefully 
you progress to the mean a little bit and steal one against, you know, a team like TCU or Kansas state that might come into Lubbock as a favorite or, you know, you on the road to Kansas or BYU where nobody thinks you can win on the road. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what goes into that. I'm not saying I believe it fully, but somebody out there that is measuring luck right now says that you are the unluckiest team in the country. And so maybe that will revert to something a little bit more normal um, as the season goes along. I wonder if that adds in uh, injuries too. It might. And, and Joey said in his press conference, like I've never coached a team that had this many guys go down, you know, every week. And so I, I think if I had to guess, it's probably injury luck. It's probably some of those kind of subjective sounding like Pat Mahomes was getting raked over the coals a little bit a season ago or two seasons ago for throwing like a high rate of interceptable passes. Yeah. But he didn't have a lot of interceptions. And so people were like, do we believe this stat is real? Do we not? So maybe there's stuff like that, you know, that you haven't recovered, you know, 50, 50 fumbles or if like, you've batted away some tipped passes that should have been interceptable. I have no idea. The field goals, you know, maybe those are, you know, Gino started something like two for seven on field goals. Maybe that's an, I don't know, but I, you know, I would like to think that hopefully your bad luck is behind you based on that. It's a little bit comforting to know that, okay, there's one stat out there that is beyond our control. It has nothing to do with how good our players are, how good our coaches are that maybe is due for a turnaround. I don't know. That's interesting. 133rd. The way you set it up, I knew it was going to be bad, but. Well, and like, and this is where I don't know if I believe it because like West Virginia and Wyoming are toward the top of luckiest teams in the country. And so it's like, are they, are they lucky or are they better than you? And they beat you in a football game and it looks like it was bad luck, but really they just outplayed you for 60 minutes. I don't know. But it's something small. If, if you're just completely dejected and apathetic, it's something small to cling to to say, hey, we're the unluckiest team in the country. We're due for a bounce back. Well, and hopefully it is a bounce back this weekend. Houston just doesn't look very good. Um, they average, let's see, they're averaging 27.3 points per game. You're only averaging 29. Uh, they're averaging 25 points defensively. You're averaging 24. So when I say they just don't look very good, well, neither does Texas Tech, but I think Houston looks a little worse. Yes. Yes. Schedule wise and, and otherwise, I I just I don't think that these teams obviously Vegas and the books think Texas Tech is an eight and a half point favorite. Uh what do you see in the game that makes them that favorite? Well, so that's another interesting point before I get into that, and I do have some stat comparisons. Before the season ever started, you were slightly more than a touchdown favorite against Houston, according to FPI, K Ford, any of that. And I would have thought back in August, like to get to Lubbock as an eight and a half point favorite against Houston, you've got to start three and one or something. Like you've got to prove that you're as good as all these preseason prediction models say you are. And instead you've done the opposite. You've fallen flat on your face, started one and three. And yet I get I guess Houston is bad enough that you're still that eight and a half point favorite. Um, on paper, side by side, they do look kind of similar. However, I think when you dive into some of this, Houston looks even worse. And this might explain why we're as large of a favorite as we are. Really, the only metric I could find where they are better than you is passing yards per attempt on offense. Houston averages 6.9 times, uh, 6.9 yards per pass attempt. That's 73rd nationally, so that's not great. But you're 104th nationally at 6.1 yards per attempt. And this goes back to my rant last episode: was that the thing you're not only worst at relative to your own game, but relative to everybody else in the country is the thing you try to do most often. So I think some of that can be mitigated by not throwing it as much. However, I will say. The uh, well, let me continue on this before I move on. You're 90th nationally in passer rating, and you're 104th nationally in yards per attempt. So, you're not good at throwing the football, period. And we've seen differing takes on is it Shuck, is it Morton, is it the receivers, is it the offensive coordinator? I think when you're this bad, 
And when you score 13 points in a game, everybody gets a little bit of the blame. Yeah. And I think Joey said as much. He was like, we uh, we had seven drops. I think he said we had nine and seven of them were like legitimate drops. I don't know what the distinction is there. Maybe two were catchable that he classified as drops. But, you know, we, we have – and it's so much easier to do this in hindsight when you're watching in slow-mo or taking still shots. But, like, there are hot reads that look open that the quarterback isn't hitting. When he does throw it to a receiver, there are drops. There are questionable play calls. So I think it's on everybody is my point. I'm not trying to pin that on anyone. Yeah. And then just to highlight how often you're doing something you're bad at, you are eighth nationally in passing plays per game. So this goes back to the the tempo philosophy. It's like we're going to hurry to the line so that – as many times in this game, we can run what we're absolutely worst at. Would like to see that change. Houston is really not far behind you. They run a few less plays per game, but they're 17th nationally at 38 and a half passing plays per game. So they've got a similar offensive identity. Um, both teams give up sacks at a pretty high rate. You're tied for 104th nationally. Both teams are sacked three times per game. I'm a little bit more surprised at that coming from Houston because they have a left tackle, Patrick Paul, who is mocked in the top 10 of NFL drafts in some places. So either those predictions are are not warranted or the rest of their offensive line is just pretty leaky. Um, anything there before I move into rushing statistics? Uh, I mean, those stats were pretty painful there for Texas Tech passing, but that's, that is what it is. I mean, that's what we've seen. I'll offer another silver lining on those stats. So you're you're 104th nationally. Houston is 73rd nationally in past yards per attempt. However, the and this is all FBS versus FBS, by the way. So throw out Tarleton. The three defenses you've played against, their yards per pass attempt defended. Oregon is fifth nationally. Wyoming and West Virginia are both top 30 nationally. So you've played three really good pass defenses. Again, are they good pass defenses because they've had the privilege of playing you and your crappy pass offense, or are they good at it? Oregon, you know, they played Shador Sanders. Um, Houston has played Chandler Morris. So they've played other – or I, I I guess I'm not talking about Houston. There are, are mutual opponents. Wyoming has played Quinn Ewers and Texas on the road in Austin. So I don't think it's just the fact that they've played you that ranks them high in that respect. Houston, on the other hand – Rice is 59th nationally in pass defense, yards per attempt. TCU, 104th. UTSA, 118th. So they are a mediocre to below average pass offense despite playing mediocre to terrible pass defenses. Wow. Uh, Texas Tech, on the other hand, 25th nationally in pass defense, yards per attempt. So you're going to be the best pass defense that Houston has played, and they're already not very good at throwing the ball. Uh, I like Donovan. Donovan is responsible for contributing to some of our biggest wins over the last two years and going back further than that the last five, six, ten years. Uh, He is turnover prone. He has his deficiencies. And we're going to be the best pass defense that they've seen to this point. I think it's something you can take advantage of, especially if you can make them one-dimensional, make them throw the ball more than they want to. They give up a lot of sacks per game. You know, I, I think this is a recipe for your defense to excel do something like take three, win the turnover battle. I like how that is shaping up in terms of your past defense versus their pass offense. Yeah. And you need to do that. That's another one of those things we've heard a lot and haven't seen a lot. The take three. Right. Before I run through the rushing stats, do you want to rush through a, an ad read for our friends over at Rahino? Yeah. Rahino barbecue. You know them, you love them. They've been having some specials lately. They had a Texas Philly, a Rojino brisket Philly cheesesteak sandwich the other day. Uh, if you go, you can find some specials around 10 bucks. They've generally got like some chicken quarters or halves uh, on special or anything else. So it's not just like you have to go spend 50 bucks on a barbecue meal. You can get a special there. Uh, they're open five days a week. The restaurant is from Tuesday to Saturday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
A few nights they close at five. And then on Sunday through Sunday, you can go to the barbecue, Rojino Barbecue Market, and get uh, some prepared meats, some raw meats, some milk, some vegetables, whatever you need for a great meal. Get it over there, and you can get uh, some, some pre-made salads, sandwiches there as well. So if you need a quick lunch, if you need a delicious lunch, stop by Rojino Barbecue. Got a couple comments. Our friend Jacob from the Lupton Beers podcast. Lupton Drinking Club post-game beers. I feel like their podcast has multiple names, or maybe I'm just an idiot. He says, forgive me for being late. We do forgive you. You can catch up later on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. You know where to find us. Hey, there were some comments earlier. Are we going to talk Mike Leach later? Yes, we can. Okay, cool. We'll circle back to that then. Okay. Here's where it gets fun for the run the damn ball believers. I was doing some quick math in my head, and you tell me if I'm off base here. 133 teams in FBS. They all have a quarterback. Probably two or three running backs that have logged a carry. Maybe like a wide receiver on an end around. Let's say that there's roughly five ball carriers to this point in the season per FBS team. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. That would put us at roughly 650 guys that have toted the rock in college football this season. Okay. You want to guess where Taj Brooks out of those 650-ish ranks in yards per carry? Top 50. Top 11. Top 11. He is 11th. Now, to wow. make to qualify for the list of yards per carry on the NCAA's website, it looks like you have to have at least 30 carries to qualify. So if, if you give an end around to a receiver, he houses it. He has one carry on the season. That doesn't count. Minimum is 30 carries to be on the list. But 30 carries through four games, you can still be a gadget player, averaging seven and a half carries per game. So 60 carries would be 15 per game. That would tell me you're either the feature back or like a co-number one in an offense that has a two-back system. Do you want to guess where he ranks among players with at least 60 carries? Uh, Top 20. He is number two in the country. But he got three carries in the first half of a Big 12 game. Against Wyoming, which we were told had the best interior defensive line duo in the Mountain West, which is one of the better group of five conferences. I was on the road. And they actually held him in – that was his worst game this year. Oregon, a top ten team. West Virginia, a team that is good at defending the run. So this isn't like, okay, he ran through a couple of Conference USA squads, had a good game that inflated it. He's second in the country in yards per carry among guys that have at least 15 carries per game to this point. Wow. Some of the guys that he is ahead of, Trevor Etienne at Florida, Travion Henderson at Ohio State, Logan Diggs at LSU. These are all programs with, you know, five-star offensive lines, five-star running backs. Yeah. Who else here? DJ Giddens from Kansas State. He had like 400 yards in one game, and yet Taj Brooks is still ahead of him. Blake Corum at Michigan, thought to be a Heisman contender, one of the best running backs in college football. Imani Bailey at TCU, a guy who's had a great season to this point. Taj Brooks is ahead of all of these guys. Jonathan Brooks at Texas. And again, I'll go back to it. You have a running back that is top two, top 11, whatever way you want to slice it at what he does out of, what do we say, 650 ball carriers in college football. Yeah. And we're going, no, 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 no. Let's do anything other than hand him the ball. And instead, what we're 104th at out of 133, let's do it as much as possible, as often as possible, tempo up to the line of scrimmage to make sure we can do as do this as many times as possible throughout the game. I think I said it last time. It, it is a complete 180 versus like – adapting to your personnel, leaning into your strengths, avoiding your weaknesses. Yeah. It is completely backwards. It reminds me of the the definition of insanity saying. Yes. So and so I think this the numbers I'm about to get into don't even do it justice because it's just your yards per carry or your yards per rush, your rush attempts per game, but you were still quarterback run heavy 
Like, and Tyler Shuck, good runner for quarterback, in my opinion, and I'm fine with mixing that in. But when you have a running back that's averaging 6.75 yards per carry, I'd rather see him tote the rock more than the quarterback. So, like, you look at our national ranking on yards per carry, it's like 4.2. But that's because the quarterback power and the sack plays, like, deflate that number really badly. Right. But anyway, let's get into it. Rushing yards per attempt, 4.2. You're 59th nationally, so mediocre, slightly above average. Houston, 3.7 yards per carry, 85th nationally. They stink at running the ball, and they're not very good at throwing it either. Like, makes me mad reciting this. Your rush play percentage is 112th nationally. And again, that includes all the quarterback runs. Like, when you ran it in the first half against Oregon, it was Xavier White and Tyler Shuck, and still you're 112th. You're probably 120-something in handoffs to your running back that is second nationally in yards per carry of guys that have 60 carries or more. Houston, though, very similar, 97th nationally. They run the ball 45% of the time. You run it 43% of the time. The games that you've struggled with the most, it's the opposite identity. West Virginia is fifth nationally in run run play rate. Wyoming is 26th nationally. They're both – Wyoming's 56%, West Virginia 67%. So Houston is not going to play the type of ball game that has given you fits and dragged you into these ugly games. They're going to throw it a lot like you. They're a little more balanced or have been to this point, but not by much. And their tempo is up speed. They're not quite as fast as you tempo-wise. But for the most part, they kind of mirror your offensive identity. Uh, let's see here. Again, where I think Texas Tech can exploit Houston. Houston is 75th defensively in yards per carry allowed. So I, I look at all this and I go, okay, Taj statistically is one of the better running backs in the country. You're good at running the ball when you do it. We had all that data on three and outs and – and Houston is, like, right there for the taking. They can't really defend the run. I'll, I'll just be sick to my stomach if we don't flip a switch this game in terms of offensive philosophy. It'll make no sense, especially with an injured quarterback, a backup quarterback. It, if there's a time to run the ball 60% of the time, it, it's today or Saturday. 60% of the time, it works every time. Uh, I will say this. If you're looking at some stats for Houston – uh, Donovan Smith with a thousand yards passing already 62% completion percentage, uh, that 6.7 yards per attempt, as you mentioned earlier, five touchdowns, three interceptions. He's been sacked 12 times. Uh, not bad, not prolific, certainly, but a 62% completion percentage and a thousand yards in four games is certainly something. Their leading rusher, Parker Jenkins, uh, but not their leading carries guy. Donovan Smith has 46 carries. Uh, their two running backs that have the most carries are 28 and 29. Donovan Smith, 46 carries for 2.3 yards per carry, uh, which certainly sounds like what he was doing last year. Yeah, a couple other notes on their offense. If you did, if you weren't familiar with Houston's season and you saw that they lost at 36 to 13, you probably wouldn't realize that their offense, that was a home game, by the way, that was in Houston. Their offense did not score a touchdown. They had a kick return for seven and then two field goals against Rice. Let me look here. I know they got down 28-0. Um they got down 28-0, obviously, before scoring. Um, but it was, I think, pretty late in the second quarter when they finally got on the board. So this is an offense that has, at least for one entire game, against a defense that is 104th nationally in pass defense, did not score. Now, they had some drops issues in that game. And then a Rice team that is pretty dreadful as well, 118th in pass defense. They didn't score on them until late in the second quarter, went long stretches of that game without much offensive production. So it, we talked about Houston being turnover prone. They're not really good at throwing the ball. They're not good at running the ball. 
you've been above average in defending both the run and the pass. Like, tell me what it would look like or how this defense can have a bad game or like what the, the reasonable expectations could be for our defense against their offense, given what we know about Houston through four games. The reasonable expectation is that they don't score more than 24. How it can get away from you is a couple of big plays by Matthew Golden and you don't get any turnovers. Donovan plays a clean game. I think that's probably right. I, I don't think that they're an offense that's just going to like sustain a bunch of drives against you. Oh, and they get sacked a lot. Yeah. So at, at 24, I, I would almost be disappointed if you gave up 24. You know, context always matters if they if they inherit the ball inside, you know, the 20-yard line because the offense turned it over. Okay, that's different. But I don't see why – if TCU didn't surrender a single touchdown on the road against Houston, why should Houston come into the Jones and really be able to uh, – I, I want and expect to see a pretty dominant performance from the defense. I would love that. I just am hurting. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just like looking at the numbers and I'm trying to make sense of it like everybody else. Like, how are you an eight and a half point favorite? Yeah. And, and I looked in and I go, well, Houston can't run the ball. They can't throw it. Like, you should easily make them one dimensional. You should turn them over. You should sack them. Like, I'm, if you told me they score 24, 27, 28 points, I'd be like, well, I would be pretty disappointed in our defense at, at that kind of effort. So if you run the ball, let's say 50 times with three different running backs and Xavier White and a bunch of guys getting carries, and you win, you don't go tempo, and you win 24 to 12, they get in the red zone a couple of times, kick some field goals, maybe have a special teams error and get down in the red zone. Are you saying that's a replicatable recipe for success in this league for Texas Tech? I don't know oh. for sure, but I think that – I mean, yeah, I think what you're good at so far this season and what you're bad at so far this season, you need to lean into and lean away from respectively. And it's not in our identity. It's not in our uh, culture, like – we saw all those clips in fall camp. We want to go fast. We know Kitley's a pass-first offensive coordinator. And, you know, this is kind of the exact same thing we were worried about with um, with Neil Brown in West Virginia. It's like, hey, you've got the personnel here to run the ball on everybody, and you're talking about going vertical and going tempo, and that isn't what they've done, and it has helped them get to 3-1, and one, and that they could easily be 1-3 and three right now. It almost cost them at the end of the game, though. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know if I want to run the ball two-thirds of the time, but, like, you should at least get to 50-50. And, again, running the ball should help you throw the ball. But, you know, we, we say we throw it so much because we get these pass looks. And I would guess that's honestly part of it, that you're being so selective that when you run the ball, it probably inflates Taj's yards per carry and things like that. But I would rather th – this is a good learning experience for fans, and I learned this from Tech Hoops guy. He was looking at Davide Moretti's freshman year versus his sophomore year. And Davide Moretti's freshman year, he barely got to shoot the ball, but when he did, he hit like 42% from three. Uh, insanely efficient, but not at volume at all. It was like, you know, one three-point attempt per game. And he said, you know, mathematically, I would rather Davide shoot 38%, you know, six or seven times a game than shoot 42% once or twice a game. And so if, if Tosh's yards per carry goes down to five, but he does that on 30 carries every game. Give me that over 6.75 on 15 carries per game. And so uh, I would like to see a more balanced offense. I don't think we're ever going to be like run first, run it two thirds of the time. But if you want to get guys in the box, get your receivers one-on-one, -on -one, make it easier for them to win some routes. I think you can help yourself by continuing to run the ball. And to answer your question, I do think that is something you can replicate. I don't think you need – maximum number of possessions on offense i think that's great if you're if you're oregon if you're tennessee if you're one of these really efficient offenses then yeah you want to maximize that advantage but when you're dreadful at one element of the game i don't think it's in your best interest to run as many plays as possible when you're calling pass plays 65 percent of those plays and executing those incredibly inefficiently
I don't know if I have a percentage I want to see run the ball, but two things. I want to run the ball in the first quarter. And I want to run the ball on – if you have 12 drives, I want to run the ball on 10 drives. If you have a couple of drives in there that are scripted and you just get like three pass plays down the field, all right, you don't have to run the ball there. But if we see a bunch of three and outs that are just passing the ball, that's what's frustrating. That's what's been the the fly in the ointment here over the last couple of weeks. That's a metric that I would want to – I don't know if Jackson is streaming or if we could use the uh, stats he pulled, but what you were just talking about, running the ball on a certain percentage of your series of downs. You're probably not ever going to get to 100%, especially if you throw it on first and 10 and get a first down. But he calculated it, and like the series of downs, whether it's to begin a possession or in the middle of a possession, when you just throw it three times in a row – much lower success rate at moving the chains than if you run it at least just once in that set of downs. And so I, I've always looked at it from the three and out vantage point. I think the numbers are clear there that you're more likely to move the sticks if you run it at least once. The, uh, the staff from the West Virginia game, five possessions, you handed the ball off to Tosh twice or more. You averaged 50 yards per drive on the six possessions where he carried it once or fewer you average six yards per drive. So stuff like that. I want to see us do it more consistently and intersperse the run game so that you're not ever throwing it five, six plays in a row. Like there needs to be a run threat there and you need that to stay on the field, eat up some time of possession and continue to move the chains. All right. I just remember we're trying to get out of here in an hour. Do you want to run through uh, some big 12 picks real quick? Uh, Yeah. Do you want to talk Mike Leach first? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, really, I only have one sentiment on it. I'm glad that he is being inducted into the Texas Tech Hall of Fame. Um, I've seen, and I guess this is natural, you know, um, fans with their takes on Mike Leach's departure from the university, how that was handled by both sides, yada, yada. My two cents, we've had that a version of that conversation in different frequencies for 15 years. And no matter what side you're on, I would like to just make Saturday about recognizing his accomplishments, not even just for Texas tech for the sport of football. Yeah. Cause what he did wound up impacting the entire game of college football. And you even see some elements now going into the NFL. I get people have hard feelings on both sides. Some people love him. Some people couldn't stand him. Some people like Ken Hans. Some people hate Ken Hans. Again, Everything that could be said there has been said for 15 years. Let's make Saturday about honoring Mike Leach's contributions to the university and to the game and try to make it a celebratory occasion rather than just default to some argument that, you know, we have with our family every Thanksgiving for the last decade and a half. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that we uh, forget, a lot of things we don't understand. Um maybe some things that are legally bound to not be able to happen that people want to happen still. Um, so I agree with you. I think the sentiment should be positive and let's just praise and honor Mike Leach this weekend for a life well lived in college football. Agreed. You know, I don't like to get political on here, but not too long ago, this one political pun that was like, how, how come Republicans keep going after Jimmy Carter? Like the dude was president in the seventies. He's been gone for 50 years. Can y'all like move on and leave poor Jimmy Carter alone? And that that's like almost what I, it hasn't been as long. And I get it. Fan is short for fanatic. We're passionate about Texas tech. We're passionate about the school and its history and its football program. But like, again, we, we've had 15 years to, argue our side of that and Saturday is about Mike Leach and his family and and the university so let's just try to keep it positive our fan base surely we can surely we can Kyle uh if you want to do our big 12 picks last we could also do a big 12 basketball schedule reading or do you want to save that for uh an episode where we have maybe a uh guest 
schedule. Yeah, you know what? We're trying to keep it on a bit of a schedule tonight, so the basketball schedule will be there for a different episode. Okay. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Mailbag it is. The Matador Transit Mailbag. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Will Tyler Shuck be QB1 next year? Maybe somewhere, but I don't think at Texas Tech. I agree. I think he might try to make it one more year, but I just I don't see him doing it at Texas Tech. I just don't. I guess that depends on how this year finishes out, but it just seems it seems a little crazy. Uh, how soon into the Houston game do we get a quarterback power? If we run that, like not out of the Wildcat with Taj or Nehemiah taking the snap, I'm going to probably just jump out of the stadium. I'm going to vomit. If Baron Morton runs a quarterback power with a pulling guard, I'm going to vomit. I guess I might. Here's what we should say to ourselves if that happens. Just assume that that was 100% not the play call and the quarterback checked into it, it's a lot easier for me to think that a quarterback made a dumb audible than the offensive coordinator willingly signaled that in. But, yeah, I will be despondent if we run quarterback power. What do you make of this Hugh Freeze quote? Hugh Freeze on Auburn's first rivalry game of the season against Georgia. We should compete out of love for our people, not out of hate for other people. Respectfully, I do not give a damn what Hugh Freeze has to say about anything and would not really care what he has to say about love or hate or philosophy on anything. I can think for myself and or listen to much more qualified people than uh, than him. Respectfully, though. I, I, I don't really even need to add respect. I don't respect Hugh Freeze at all. So, uh, You're out of ketchup. What goes on with your French fries? I can never really be out of ketchup because I don't use ketchup to begin with. I think barbecue sauce on French fries is underrated. I like the uh, assorted mustards. I like mustards. Uh, we get some discourse on ketchup now. I think somebody wanted us to say mayo there. I'm not a mayo on fries guy. Uh, start bench process cut these educators, Coach Eric Taylor, Mr. Feeney, Mr. Miyagi, Professor Xavier. Uh, we're starting the football coach, I guess. Then I would go bench, Feeney, process, Miyagi, cut, Xavier. Do you know who all of these people are? I don't know who Xavier is. It's the a little... What? The wheelchair. The X-Men. He's in a wheelchair. I don't know what that is. Okay. I know Wolverine is an yeah. X-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd agree with your rankings. It's tough to process Mr. Miyagi. You know, big love for Mr. Miyagi. But, but yeah, Mr. Feeney is also pretty cool. Uh, real quick follow-up. Shout-out to Mateo No Mayo. I'm not putting mayo on my fries or anything. Mayo's disgusting. I'm not in that camp, but <clears throat> I don't know if I uh, put them on my French fries. Well, there's, there's room for converts. Uh, start bench cut these education movies, The Breakfast Club, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and The Faculty. Only ever seen The Breakfast Club, and I like that movie. So I'll, I'll start that, and I'll let you bench and cut the other two. I don't remember The Faculty. Uh, I've got a hot take. I watched The Fast Times at Ridgemont High recently for the first time. That movie sucks. That movie... And I don't know if it just doesn't hold up. The movie stinks. I don't know what we were doing in the 80s or 90s, whenever that came out. Uh, I like some coming-of-age movies from the 80s and 90s. But I don't uh, don't love the 
I don't love the Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I thought that movie kind of sucked. I think that's actually part of why I like The Breakfast Club because I'm I'm pretty anti '80s aesthetic. I think the the clothes, the hair, the colors, the music was all really bad. The only reason I watched Breakfast Club was I felt like it was so culturally significant. I was like, I I should probably be aware of what happens in this movie, so I watched it and I was like, that was actually really good. But I I wouldn't blame anybody for not really enjoying a movie that takes place in the '80s. Apparently, uh, Jacob says Varsity Blues doesn't hold up. I haven't watched that one in probably 10 years. One of my high school coaches was in Varsity Blues. Really? And fun fact, his son now plays for Kansas. Oh, nice. I had a dream last night. We beat Houston by seven points. Oh. So we didn't cover. Yeah, it was a nightmare because we're going to beat him by way more than that. Uh, what is the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift power couple name? Trailer? <laughs> Kift? Quift? I wish I knew like some of her album names or song names better that I might be able to. Swelsey? Swelsey. Well, it's uh, it's examples are Benifer and Brangelina. Yeah, no, I, I've I'm familiar with. I think it's trailer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how much did it hurt to have to include Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve viewership tweet? So the only thing it doesn't hurt, but just that I know is going to happen every week when those get posted is. Whoever's number one is going to assume that it's a great viewership number. And people, I don't fault them for this because they would have no reason to know this, but people don't understand just how great the discrepancy is for over-the-air viewership on like Fox, ABC, NBC, CBS versus like Fox Sports 1. And so this happened with West Virginia fans when they played Pitt. They were like, oh, like see this rivalry gets huge ratings and like, the number was fine, but it wasn't it wasn't like above average where you would say, oh, this is a marquee rivalry game that everybody was tuned into. It was kind of like normally what you would get when two Power Five teams play each other on Fox or ABC. And so Texas and OU fans, I think they barely both eclipsed two million, which is kind of like the bare minimum what any Power Five game should get on Fox. And they're like doing the chest pounding about how the Big 12 is screwed without us once we leave. And I was like, well, actually five other Big 12 teams have already put up the same or better viewership numbers. And if you add Colorado and Utah, it would be seven. And Utah has hit it on multiple occasions because of the prime effect. So that's my only gripe with this. I know people are going to misunderstand it, but I post it for informational purposes anyway. And like, Somebody was in the replies and Kyle Umlong was arguing with him and he was like, you know, wait till or like check back with me after Texas and OU play. And I was just like, everybody knows Texas OU is going to get good ratings. Like nobody is saying yeah. that that is not going to get good TV ratings. It's just like big time. I was told Steph Curry can't shoot vibes. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a circular argument. They're like, oh, y'all are going to miss us. Big 12 fans say, no, we're not. And then they say, well, we're leaving. So our, your TV contract went down. It's like, no, it went up and we're already locked in for seven more years. And they're like, well, it would be higher if we stayed. Yes, we know, but we still want you gone. Like it just round and round we go. Fun for you. What what I should start doing is if I wanted to take the time to calculate it, like FS1 gets a certain number and I would say like this is 10% above the median for FS1 for, you know, power five on power five. That way, like, you can have a little bit of context, but I don't want to take the time to do that. So I'll just let people keep misinterpreting it. Does your outlook on the season significantly change if we push Houston around and Morton goes three tuds for 300 yards after a full week of prep? No, I would need more than one game's worth of data for my outlook to, quote, significantly change. Agreed, but it would help me. Yeah. It would help me a little bit, yeah. Um, if you play, how are your fantasy football teams doing? I don't play. Do you play? Yeah, I'm in two. I, 
I'm really only loyal to one league. It's been a league that we've done every year since 2006. I've won it five times, including three in a row. Would have been four in a row if not for a rule change. Not bitter about that at all. Um, I think my team is okay in that league. I'm one and two, but I've made some roster moves. I think I can, you know, plenty of time to get into the playoffs and make a run. And then I, I did a work league this year. You know, I'm kind of new on the job. First football season at, at the new office. So they do one every year. I wasn't going to be a stick in the mud and be like, no, I only do one league. So I'm in that. And I'll be honest, I don't think any of my coworkers know I have a podcast, so they won't hear this, but not very good. Like we, we've got kickers being drafted in the fourth round. Nice. We have, you know, tight end 20 getting drafted in the third round. Quarterbacks going in the first round. Just So my team is good there, but I don't really consider that an accomplishment. There's like three or four people that know what they're doing. So, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, with enough practice, do you think you could bowl a 300? Probably not. I think that's rare even for pros. I mean, you miss one roll by like an inch. and Now, I have top 200 on at least a couple of occasions. I think if, with practice, I could get an average like above 200 if I really dedicated to it. But 300 just seems so – it's like throwing a perfect game in baseball. It's like even if you're the best pitcher in the league, it, it's not going to be easy to do. If you would have uh, given me a line on – if you would have said yes or no on that, I would have hammered the yes. <laughs> See, I'm realistic about my sports hubris, kind of, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, I said I could run a sub-540, and I ran like a 501. So, I mean, I was I was close. Yeah. You're pretty close, sir. I can run a sub-539 yard dash. Uh, how many Texas Tech basketball games will you bet the under? <laughs> Shoot. There's what? 30-ish. 30-ish games? 31? Yeah, so, yeah, it's usually like 31, 32. 28 of them? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like how low would it need to go for you to yeah. bet the over? I mean, most of them. Tech Hoops guy told us that during the coaching carousel. He was like, these totals for McCaslin games, you know, they're like – 88 and they go under like it's just crazy uh is mike mcdaniel the most fun coach in the nfl right now yes 70 points is pretty impressive with like no look shovel passes in between taking hits of the vape pin he's absolutely the most interesting coach in the nfl right now oh man all right that's the mailbag Is that it? Do we have anything else? Oh, we need to make some picks. Yeah, the picks is going to be sponsored by our friends at Wreck'em Outdoor. Yes, Wreck'em Outdoor. Legendary Baffin Bay. It's all West Texas. But if you are on the coast of Texas, you can hit up Wreck'em Outdoors and get a fishing guide and Captain Preston Long. You can go wade fishing in Legendary Baffin Bay. Walk out right into the water. Fish for some trout, uh, lots of kinds of fish. Uh, or you could just go to their Instagram page and check out the fish. I love looking at fish. I love looking at Wreck'em Outdoors fish. Uh, they catch fish. They show you fish. It's all fish all the time there on Wreck'em Outdoors. Follow them on Instagram, Wreck'em Outdoors, or online, Wreck'emoutdoors.com. Big fish pit guy. Have you gone and looked at the fish, Kyle? Yeah, the, they've actually migrated to Twitter a little bit. And I – so speaking of my sports hubris, I know for a fact in a million years, like without a guided uh, – without some assistance, I could not catch a fish. Like apparently this guy catches multiple every day that are – if I caught it, it would be like the catch of my life. And he just does it on the reg. So, yeah. yeah. It, it, if you uh, if you're like me and you would never get a fish like that, hit up Preston and he'll get you taken care of. All right, let's make some picks.
Let's do it. Uh, am I the picks guy? If you got him, I got him too. I can get him. I'll get it like I got it. Okay. My dad, my dad never texted me. He just said, hey, are you watching the Rangers? I said, no, I'm doing a podcast. He's, he said, oh. He said, We're up. He said, I said, did anything happen? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I feel like my wife does that. So she'll be like, are you working from home today? And I'll be like, yeah. Why? She's like, just curious. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> All right. Um, so this the Cincinnati BYU game is interesting. Cincinnati going on the road to Provo, but they're favored by a point and a half. But this one swung by like five points. Was it the Swifties hammering the Bearcats or something different? It had to have been. I saw you say that. It had to have been that. Uh, I don't really see any other reason why. I mean, BYU is three and one. They nearly covered against Kansas. Uh, I guess Cincinnati played better against Oklahoma than people thought. They nearly, or I guess they did cover against Oklahoma. But Emory Jones just seems really bad. He's one dimensional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't get this spot for. I mean, this is almost what I would anticipate the spread to be if it were at Nipper. Yeah. So I, it's one of those, it's like so fishy, it makes me suspicious. So Cincinnati's probably going to win and cover, but give me the Cougars. And this is Friday night. Big 12 after dark action, 9-15 kickoff in God's country. We uh, we say goodbye to another historic Big 12 rivalry. Top 25 matchup, Kansas Jayhawks go on the road to Austin to play Texas. They're getting 16 and a half. Give it to me, baby. I'm with you. And uh, it wouldn't be the first time in the last two years that uh, Kansas won outright in Austin. I mean, I think that Texas will win. I think Texas will control the game. But that offense is just really good. It, it is. It takes two brain farts from Quinn Ewers to make that a close game. And I saw a stat that Texas, going into their last game against Baylor, so this might have changed, but they were 133rd nationally in offensive success rate, which is getting five yards on first down, getting it to third and three, getting a first down. They were 133rd, so incredibly reliant on explosive big plays. And so it's one of those things like, can they consistently move the ball for four quarters? If not, and if Kansas can defend against a big play, they might be able to keep this close. Baylor at UCF, the 2013-2014 Fiesta Bowl rematch. UCF's first home game at the bounce house as a member of the Big 12 Lopsided spread. It's at 12 and a half right now. It's kind of hovered between, I think, 10 and 13 most of the week. I, 12 and a half is a lot, but I think this is Baylor's first road game, and it's not exactly an easy trip. I might take the Knights to cover this. Yeah. <laughs> I have zero read on this game. Baylor, Baylor has not been good. Uh, but again, they have eight home games, and this is one of their rare trips away from home. Um, I think the bounce house will be absolutely juiced for their first Big 12 game. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I think it'll be close, but I think that UCF can cover for sure. Yeah, Baylor backs against the wall. I mean, kind of like Texas Tech, really disappointing start. Really, the seasons have almost mirrored each other exactly, like – they lose to Texas State the same night we lose to Wyoming. Then both of them host a ranked Pac-12 team and barely lose. They need this one. I mean, anybody fall into one and four, like you can basically kiss your season good- goodbye. So I think they'll put up a good fight, but I-, I just don't know if they've got the horses to do it. We'll come back to Texas Tech, pick that one last. Iowa State goes to Norman, again, potentially for the last time. Getting 20, that's a lot, especially in a game the total is only 48 and a half. You know, that's a decent um, it's a decent number for what is not expected to be a wildly high-scoring game. Love Iowa State in this spot. Looking ahead to Texas, this is a classic OU in Norman debacle. I don't think Iowa State will win. I don't think they're good enough. But this is going to be a really close game in the fourth quarter. 
Did SMU look that impressive to you against TCU last weekend? No. Did Cincinnati look that impressive to you in losing to Miami of Ohio? No. Iowa State, they still have the elite defense. Like they've they've always had that. Look like they started to figure some stuff out offensively. Now they're one dimensional, they can't run it. But OU's been in a couple games now, once against SMU, once against Cincinnati. 20-something to 14 or 20-something to 13 kind of final score. You know, they're not pulling away by 20-plus by, you know, scoring 40 points of their own. I don't think they're going to score 40-plus against Iowa State. 20 seems like too big of a number. I think I'm going to trail you and pick the Cyclones. Last one, does the climb continue? Well, last one before we get to Texas Tech. West Virginia 3-1, and does the climb continue? They're getting 14 on the road in Fort Worth against the Horned Frogs. Also 3-1 and have bounced back nicely after the opening loss to Colorado. Nice even 14. What do you think about this one? Two things here. <clears throat> Can West Virginia cover? Yes. Will they? I'm not so sure. They just played two Super Bowls in a row. Uh, it, there has to be some emotional letdown. I think TCU wins, but I mean, give me West Virginia to cover. I think they'll keep it close. I've got some bad news for our Texas Tech listeners. Uh, opposite of fraud alert, I am unfortunately have no choice but to put Chandler Morris on dog alert. He's good. And I gave TCU's coaching staff a lot of grief for starting the wrong quarterback last year because they had the Heisman runner-up as their backup going into game one. I still don't think that Chandler Morris would have had a better season than Max Duggan last year, but I don't think they whiffed on that eval nearly as badly as I thought. Chandler Morris is two – well, all three of his interceptions have come in the red zone, two of them against Colorado. If he just takes one of those back and throws it away or – those to somebody else. They're probably 4-0 while he's putting up incredible numbers. They're ranked in the top 10, probably. And just the eye test. He, he can spin it. It looks good coming out of his hand. I think after week one, everybody was like, yeah, we were right about TCU. They lost all this production. They lost as 20-point favorites to Colorado in their home stadium. Colorado's not as bad as anybody thought, and I think TCU is better than everybody thought after week one. Long way of saying I think they cover, and I think that they're legitimate Big 12 title contenders. It hurts the cactus in me to say that, but I do think it's true, and I've got to be honest with everybody. Okay, last one on Fox Sports 2 in front of dozens of viewers. I might not I might not put this one on the viewership graphic next week. I don't even know if FS2 post numbers. Houston plus 8.5 in the Jones – we talked about the importance for both teams. We run through their strengths and weaknesses. What do you got? 27-24 Texas Tech. 27-24 Texas Tech. Yeah. This is a different score than I said this, this morning, but 27-24. Do you think there's a 100% chance, or do you think there's a 99% chance that Baron Morton is the starting quarterback on Saturday? Yes. I think it's lower than that. Okay. Just FYI, I don't I don't know what I would put it at. 80. I know Joey. I know Joey said he's full go. He's the and, guy. He said. And other people have said, not quite that. I don't know. I'm not pretending like I've got any intel here. I'm not trying to stir the pot. I just, if Baron Morton is not able to go on Saturday, I won't be like what. I am so shocked. Let me pick my jaw up off the floor. I'd be like, okay, yeah, like mild surprise, but we know he had a shoulder injury against West Virginia. We just don't know the extent of it. Um, I don't, I'm not going to pick us to beat any Power 5 team by 8.5 until I see it. And the numbers pouring over the data gave me a lot of confidence that there's a very clear recipe to win in this game. Houston's not good at offense. You should be able to turn them over. You should be able to get negative plays. And you should be able to run the ball on them just fine. Like You should be able to control time of possession, control the tempo, control the flow of the game. You should cover. I'll be disappointed if you don't, but this team has been disappointing to me thus far, and I need them to go out and prove it. Not on paper, not 
in the press conference, not in practice. I need them to go prove they can beat a power five team by eight and a half before I pick them to do it. So unfortunately, give me the Cougars. I don't think we're on upset alert, but I don't I don't trust us to win by more than one possession. You got a score? I'll say oh God. I think it's gonna be ugly. Give me twenty-three to seventeen. That's closer to what I said this morning. Yeah. I got less confident, I guess, after this one. I don't know what the total is. That's only 40 points. I know it's higher than that. Yeah, so maybe 27-20 or something, but yeah. ugly. And, and I don't know. I say that, but, like, Houston's playing style is so different than Wyoming and West Virginia. Maybe maybe it doesn't get that way. I won't be surprised if I'm wrong. I Just in principle, I'm not doing it until we prove it. If it's 38-35, I mean, that's going to be an exciting game, but frustrating. Yeah, I will not – enjoy allowing 35 points to this Houston team. TCU gave up zero. Well, they gave up zero touchdowns. They gave up six points to Houston's offense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, yeah. With the 104th ranked pass defense. Yeah. You're 80 spots higher in that metric. All right. That's all I got. You got any final thoughts? Yeah, let me uh, whip them out here. Easy. You know I got them. Not that kind of podcast. Uh, but Let me find a random Norwegian proverb here. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is a great. This is what I would tell my team before every game. Everybody wants to put the axe in the bear skull, but nobody wants to hold the handle. Everybody wants to put the axe in the bear skull, but nobody wants to hold the handle. Okay. We all want to be the hero of the story, but we're not willing to put in the work. Can't be afraid of the bear. I'm going to save that for Baylor week as well. But, yeah, go go put an axe in a cougar skull. You need to tweet that. All right. Don't be afraid to hold the handle, boys. Damn right. All right. Run the damn ball. Love you all. Oh, wait.